looks like a pretty good game there. All right. So, welcome back to Your Words Against Mine, a competitive reading podcast between siblings. I'm your co-host, Thomas Dempsey. And I'm your co-host, Elizabeth Connor. And we come to you with some late breaking news. Uh, specifically news about us being late uh, with this episode. But I have, there's a very good explanation. Uh, I got a cat. Thomas is a dad now. Yay, I'm a cat dad. Now this one was a acquisition from a couple of friends who had a cat that they took in and let have its litter in their house and i believe today was the day they were taking the mother and the other kittens off to the humane society or to like a non-kill shelter locally but they said if i wanted one uh, i could have my literal pick of the litter so i picked myself up a little two-month-old tortoise shell that we are named feisty and uh, she is living up to the name. She's bounces around, likes to play. She's also she can be pretty chill. She slips, likes to lay out on the bed whenever I'm hanging out. And uh, the main thing though is just tr- getting her away from all the cables whenever she starts to feel chewy. Right. So uh, it wasn't so much a problem last night. That I noticed, but uh, this afternoon she's been a bit more, uh, I don't know, a bit more, what you would call it. So uh, we're just um, going to have to try and break her of that or else find a way to keep the cables away from her. Yeah, you don't want a Muffy on your hands. Yeah, no, you. that was a big thing with y'all. And, and it still is. Um... So for those of y'all who maybe don't know, Muffy is one of my cats and I feel like each of my animals has like a little quirk and maybe all animals are like that. I don't know. But Muffy's quirk is she likes to chew on cords, especially when she's feeling vindictive. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean like, uh, like I have an essential oil diffuser in our living room and we have replaced the cord for it like six or seven times. We're not sure how she hasn't electrocuted herself yet. Yeah. I don't know. But um, we're doing pretty okay. She still hasn't quite gotten uh, uh, on good terms with our other cats. Uh, Sammy is more or less accommodating of her, though he's pretty standoffish as a rule. And uh, Flash is pretty uh pretty argumentative as far as it goes they'll get up on each other and hiss and uh think flash can even like make a take a couple of swipes here and there they haven't gotten into like a full-blown confrontation but they're still i guess mom made the point of saying that i think flash has never been around a cat that small before so she may not even fully recognize it. Right. Um, so, yeah. And also just, you know, I, I've had to introduce, uh, 
I guess, a dog and three cats, two, you know, additional animals in the house. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, for for the new, an- or for, for everybody to, like, get comfortable with each other, it really does take um, about two to three weeks. And, yeah. uh, you know, I kind of followed uh, the Jackson Galaxy method of, like, the new kitten or the new cat, you put them in their own space and they pretty much stay in that space. And then when you're able to take your existing animals and put them in a separate place, that's when you let the new animal out. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, and she's, uh, we've got her little kennel and what all set up in my room. Got her with the food dish, the water bowl, the litter box, and et cetera. So she's right. She's set up when just, uh, I guess, helping her to get acclimated. Yeah, she's real yeah. cute. Oh, yeah. Yeah, y'all be seeing her soon. Because uh, I was expecting to carry her up with us when we come to visit. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, if you're listening to this, you'll be the week of... If you're listening to this when it comes out, it'll be the week of uh, Thanksgiving. And we're planning a little family get-together this year. Going to go over and see Elizabeth and them. Yay! Uh, anything happens uh, worth talking about, you'll hear about it on the next one. But uh, yep. for the time being, do you have anything else of note that you wanted to touch on? Uh... Not really. Then Not I that say, I can think I of. Say it's, I say it's book time then. Alright, uh, book time. Yeah, we've got some books to talk about. I've got my challenge to update on. But before we do that, I've got a couple of other books that I can touch on real quick before we get into what Elizabeth has been reading. Alrighty, uh, take it away. Fin- finished my two normal books uh, for the intervening weeks. The first one was a short story collection by T- Tanea D. Johnson called "Broken Fevers." It's uh, it's a more it's pretty in line with uh, that book Friday Black, if you recall. That short yeah. story collection, and yeah. uh, with uh, that was sort of a lot of like high concept sort of sci-fi fantasy stories with like a racial element to their theming and motifs. And this book certainly has that. There are um, some series that, uh, some stories that are more like fantastical or horror themed. The first book in the uh, collection is extremely triggering. So if anybody feels interested in checking it out, you might want to give that one a pass until you're feeling the first story, at least before you start. Before you feel up to it, basically. But uh, by and large, the stories I found to be quite good. There's uh, a lot of like post-apocalyptic stuff. Especially as the book goes on. That um, I think sort of resonates with the current moment. Uh, this book came out in 2020. Uh, I think it's when the publication date was. So it's definitely been informed by uh, recent events. And, uh, but yeah, I just enjoyed it. It was a pretty quick read, uh, only about 130 or so pages. And 
So your average story, I think at most, is going to be like 20 pages and with some as short as like three, which yeah. is a nice little variance in those kinds of collections. And uh, yeah, really liked it. Once again, that was Broken Fevers by Tania D. Johnson. And the other book I read, uh, listeners may recall the other week uh, when I was talking about like new media and stuff that I'd been getting into. I talked about the latest episode of uh, Action Button by Tim Rogers, and he was doing his review of the Cyberpunk 2077 video game. And in that video, uh, he goes in depth on a lot of like cyberpunk literature and sort of provides an impromptu like reading list of some of uh, his favorites from the genre. And one book that I picked up on his recommendation was called Mona Lisa Overdrive by William Gibson, the guy who wrote Neuromancer, which is largely credited alongside Blade Runner with sort of inventing the cyberpunk genre. And Mona Lisa Overdrive is a part of that same uh, continuity as uh, Neuromancer. It's like the third book in the trilogy to which Neuromancer is the first called the Sprawl Trilogy. And uh, it's a cyberpunk sort of sort of dystopic future story where uh, the titular sprawl is like this seems to be this big expanse of like non uh, centralized like like urban sprawl basically that uh, has just sort of come about as like corporations have taken control of everything and the internet and various communications technologies have just like expanded so greatly to the point that people are like modifying themselves and living life online and what have you so that's i i it's interesting reading the last book of a trilogy before any of the others because from my uh general understanding there's not a strict like uh, continuity between the plots as far as um, like immediacy of events goes you do get the sense that while reading this book you are picking up on certain characters who had a place of prominence in prior stories but as far as this book was concerned uh, you're given the perspectives of four characters uh, several of which you, you sort of come to understand are like existing in this world for the first time so there's not like any real baggage to try and pick up on and then it's very good about like doling out uh lore and stuff in a way that i think would be accessible to new readers while also like uh tipping off people who are familiar with uh, the earlier books but uh as far as the plot itself is concerned it's largely oriented around uh like a sort of cyber celebrity, uh, an actress who, whose claim to fame basically is recording her experiences for other people to inhabit and relive on the on the web via like uh, virtual reality. And uh, there's like various power players who are trying to like take advantage of her and. It's actually uh, in accordance with the 
title of the trilogy. It's a pretty um, diffuse uh, collection of story threads that all sort of accumulate, uh, culminate in the end. And uh, I could say that I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy uh, William Gibson's style of writing. Uh, it's very brisk. Like, you don't get a lot of, uh, I suppose, like, digressive passages where it just feels like the author's trying to fill in like a hole where two different events would be he's more content to just like work within the ellipsis of one event playing into the other so yeah i can say i really liked it i really liked both books that i read uh both of those books and once again that was Mona Lisa Overdrive by William Gibson and uh, Broken Fevers by Tanea D. Johnson. All right. Sounds good. Yep. yep. So what you got, so to, what tell you got to tell us about? So I've read five books um, since our last uh, episode. And some of y'all might remember me talking about like one of the books I read for the last episode um, was part of a series that I had like started but never finished because with the anyway with a set of characters like their books are broken up into was broken up into a trilogy but then the subsequent books like are standalones anyway it's a it anyway it is what it is so I went back and I reread the first book in the trilogy and that is um it's called Sins by Nadia Lee so I reread that book and it is about, uh, the couple's name is Ivy and Tony and Ivy and Tony, um, meet when, okay, well, first of all, Tony has not lived in the United States since he was 12. Uh, he's from Louisiana and a horrible accident occurred and Tony was to blame or the, the blame was placed on Tony and um, even though he was 12 and so his parents shipped him off to Europe to boarding school and he was really never welcomed back home. Well, he graduates from Princeton and he comes back home to like figure out what he's going to do with his life and when he gets there, um, he realizes or he meets this quote unquote cousin and I say quote unquote for a reason. Um, that his parents took in when her adoptive parents passed away. So Tony and Ivy are not actually related by blood. Ivy was adopted by his uncle and aunt and then they died. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? So, so anyway, the, the two of them, like they, they start a relationship, they fall in love. Everything's peachy until Ivy is in a car accident and is presumed dead and Tony is distraught uh makes tons of terrible mistakes and goes off the deep end until he's finally like well this is what I'm going to do with my life like he becomes like publicly disowned and it's just very intense and dramatic so then the book flashes forward from the time of her death quote unquote death it flashes forward like seven or eight years and uh and then you meet iris okay okay you know ivy iris get it you see where this is going 
Um, so anyway, uh, Tony and Iris meet and begin a relationship. And then you start to realize that they are exactly how their lives have been disrupted and entwined and it's all very dramatic. It's all very complicated. It's all kind of frustrating. Um, so anyway, I read that, uh, the first book is called sins. The second book is called secrets and the last book in the series is called mercy. Um, so I read those three and they were good. I guess my biggest complaint though about Iris would be like Tony would keep a secret from her or like he would keep, yeah, he would keep a secret from her and, but it was for a good reason. Okay. Okay. Like he's keeping a secret from her because he's afraid that it's going to endanger her life. And then she finds out about the secret. And so she gets mad and runs away. Right. Right. And anyway, he's got all kinds of trauma that her leaving always brings up. And anyway, this is a pattern that kind of ha- that happens like at least twice in the series. And I just kind of sit there and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it would just be so much easier if y'all talked about things. Right. Right. But anyway, I digress. Um, it is a happily ever after. It is good. Um, so yeah. So then the fourth book I read uh, is the first book in the Blades of Eris series. Um, it's called Sith. S-I-T-H-E. I guess that's how you say it. Or okay. Sitha. Um, and it is by Starla Knight. And it's about a, a human woman who is under... She has a, she has a quote-unquote disease or she has an affliction... Um, that basically causes her to be a nymphomaniac. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's almost like she goes into these trance-like states and, and she basically like acts like an addict with it, with like going through withdrawals when she doesn't get what she needs or gets what she wants. Um, so anyway, that's how the book opens is her struggling with what's going on. And so then her parents, uh, pack her up, put her on a ship and they're sending her to this other planet, um, with a bunch, with a bunch of other women who are also, who have the same affliction and they're hoping that this, that the people of the other planet will have a cure for her, um, Mm. so that she can come back to earth and live a normal life. Well, the, their ship is taken over and then by, Anyway, the ship's taken over by pirates, and the pirates had stolen something from the Arisons, uh, which is the ruling race of alien in the in this particular like galactic federation. Okay. Um, okay. And so, Sitha, uh, he has been assigned to to. Um, find the pirates and get back what was stolen. And anyway, he does, he, he gets to the ship and he finds, uh, he finds, Oh, what is her name? Why does this always happen to me? I don't know. I, uh, I don't really have great track record or recalling names, so I can't really fault you. 
Anyway, so he finds her in a compromising position with these particular um, uh, aliens. And so then she takes what she needs from him. So, so trigger warning, I guess it is like S.A. Um, and, and then she's like normal. Like she gets what she needs from him and then she's like back to normal. And from there it goes into, uh, learning a little bit, a little bit more about the Arisons and about how like their particular society is structured. And it's kind of like, basically the book is a mix of science fiction and romance. And, you know, we're used to seeing, um, fantasy romance. That's a big, you know, that's, that's huge in literature. But this one is science fiction romance. And I feel like, I feel like the world building and I feel like the science that is like explained and everything. Like, I feel like it's logical. Okay. Like, I feel like it would hold up. Okay. So anyway, that was that one. It was really good. I really liked it. Uh, There is a sequel. I, I don't think it's out yet, but it might be. I need to check. Um... And then the last book I read uh, is the first book in the House of Miss. Excuse me, is the first book in the House of Misfits series, uh, which is basically a series of reta- of a uh, uh, classic fairy tale retellings. Um, and so the first book is called Ivory White, and the series is written by Cambria Hebert. Hebert, I don't know. And it is about a girl named Ivory White. Okay. And she, and anyway, it takes place in modern, you know, modern day New York. And Ivory, the book opens, Ivory is out for a run. And she is attacked by who she calls the Huntsman. Because in her words, he's hunting me. So he's the Huntsman. And he attacks her. And he cuts her hair and rips off one of her fingernails and tells her to disappear and never come back. Go live a new life. (laughs) And Ivory White is set to be the richest heiress in not only New York City, but like the country. Um, You know, so people know who she is and it is noticed when she goes missing. Um, so anyway, she ends up in a place called, in a, in a section of New York City called the Grimm's and there she walks into a bar called the Rotten Apple. Okay. Okay. And that's where she meets, uh, her love interest. His name is Neo and his roommates. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Elizabeth, this sounds like garbage. I just blew out my microphone. Hold on. Okay. Yowza bow. That sounds like trash. <laughs> you know, and I'm not going to lie. Like the, the actual, um, I don't know. Like the way, like the character. Re- okay. So first of all, I do have to say, like, I feel like the writing's pretty good. Okay. Like <laughs> the, the writing's fun. Um, it's a fun book. 
But I feel like the reactions that the author gives to the characters <laughs> is is kind of ridiculous. Like Ivory is very like she's she's very moody, okay? And like and like she admits um <laughs> and she admits that like she's like I think I'm just acting this way because I've been through a traumatic experience of getting attacked in Central Park and having my hair cut off and my fingernail torn off. Um but anyway, like she's very moody. Oh, and I for, I didn't mention this part. So, uh, so one of the so one of the <laughs> one of the roommates is a very grumpy man, and he tells her she has to leave by the next day. So he goes to work, and so she decides to repay their kindness by cleaning the apartment. Don't, please, please don't, please don't, please don't wait for me to say something. Just keep going. <laughs> okay, okay. So she cleans the apartment. I forgot to mention that part. That part was pretty good. Um, there's also a scene where Neo, her love interest, uh, breaks the fourth wall and and speaks directly to the reader. Like, that's kind of weird. This is in the Matrix. <laughs> and, uh, so there was that. So the roommates are, so, okay. So the love interest is Neo, and his roommates are Earth, who's the very grumpy one, um, Fletcher, who is actually described in the book as being dopey, Elizabeth. and Bo. I'm not going to lie, you're killing me here. Can we please just get this <laughs> over with? Just get this over with. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's, that's Ivory White. And now I'm on to the second book, which is called Prince. And it is about, uh, it's about Fletcher. So the dopey one. Okay. Um, okay. and he meets a prince and, and it is, I got some thoughts about this one too, but I'm gonna save it for the next episode. And now, did you finish the book, or are you still in it? I'm still reading it. Okay. Okay. Well, we made it. So that's what I read. Yep. Uh, you want to say those books and authors again? Sure. So, um, I read, I read Sins, Secrets, and Mercy, all by Nadia Lee. Uh, Sitha from Blades of Eris by Starla Knight, and. <laughs> And then Ivory White, book one of House of Misfits by Cambria Hebert. Okay. Oh, oh man. It couldn't oh, have been man. that bad. I mean, I'm, it's been a long day. I just I feel like I'm sort of like fixing to crash. But, uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing. And for Karen. You're welcome. So, Anytime. Yeah. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk about my reading challenge, and we'll update you up some updo. Goodbye. <laughs> and thank you for coming back and joining us. This is Your Words Against Mine, a competitive reading podcast between siblings. And before the break, uh, Thomas and I both went over what we had been reading um, in the prior two weeks. And so now that we're back, Thomas is going to get into his reading challenge. That's right. And if I recall correctly, 
uh, my reading challenge, as assigned by you one month hence, was uh, to read ten children's books. Yes. Yes. Uh, and uh, to recall, were uh, picture books on the table for this challenge? Yes. Okay. Then I can safely say that I met my challenge's requirements. I went into that there Barnes and Noble, sat myself down in the kids section, started pulling Caldecott winners off the shelf, and about an hour, hour and a half later, I has ten books under my belt. That's awesome. Yep. I tried, I did, they do advertise the Caldecott winners or nominees with pretty good prominence at these stores, but, uh, that was just sort of like a guiding thread that I used. There was one book that I didn't notice as having been nominated or won for it, but I'll bring that up uh, when the time comes. Okay. But uh, to get us started, uh, my first book that I read was a little classic by the name of Madeline, which I don't think I can recall ever having read, by the author Ludwig Bemelmans. And... Uh, in the included, like, about the author uh, info on the book, it uh, spelled out how this original, like, Madeline story was based upon uh, an incident in his own life. Uh, I think his own time in Paris uh, at some point. Um, some like, I feel like a lot of our, like cultural memory of Madeline as much as it comes from the books is also informed by stuff like the animated TV show and I think maybe that one live action adaptation they did a while back but uh yeah if you have if you've never read the first Madeline book or you're only vaguely familiar with the premise what you might not expect going in is that it is basically a book about acquainting children with the idea of uh appendix removal surgery because that is like the primary <laughs> dramatic <laughs> incident <laughs> of the book there's like a whole bunch of setup about like the 12 girls in the two rows they all dress in yellow they've got the nun lady with them one of them's madeline she's the smallest and the most outgoing one night she starts crying uh turns out she needs to get her appendix removed so they take her to the hospital she gets that done. The kids come visit. They check out her scar and play in her room and what all. And then they all miss her back at the place. So they all start wishing that their appendixes would burst so they could go stay with her. And then that's it. That's not even a really a real resolution. Like you don't see Madeline return to the fold from the hospital. She's just sort of there recuperating. And then you're left on the note that we went home and we really missed her. And then the book's over. And then, of course, there's oh, sequels. Okay. So you presume that she doesn't just, like, like have a freak relapse or whatever. That uh, she gets better, comes back, and then has her own various misadventures. It feels very much like a basis that a series would be, like, like uh, extrapolated from. So, like, yeah. you, you can't be certain about how much the author originally planned for it to be just, like, this ongoing thing. Because it feels much more like 
a story that's just sort of like a f- sort of fa- a fantastic realization of the city of Paris in these like really nice watercolor illustrations. And uh, much of the book seems to be in service of that, which I can ap- I can appreciate. And uh, that's going to be a big uh, touchstone with a lot of these books is that as much as like the premise or the writing can be like addressed like the uh, the big draw of a picture book is the pictures so i think a lot of how you connect with a given story is going to be like how you feel about a given illustrator's like sensibility so like right. i enjoyed reading madeline uh if i were to do that thing where like you just sort of buy a picture book to have to look at I guess to treat us like a coffee table book or what have you. I don't think I'd go that far. Uh, I like I don't mind not owning Madeline, but uh, the book I read after that is one that I think I would actually enjoy, and one that I think you would probably be especially primed to enjoy as well. That book is called Extra Yarn by Mac Barnett and John Classen. I believe John is the illustrator, and uh, Mac was the author. And I don't think I've heard of this yeah, one. Extra yarn. It's about a little girl who lives in this sort of drab looking town and she finds a box with a bunch of yarn in it. So she starts knitting stuff out of it and the yarn never runs out. So she just keeps knitting yarn coverings for things. She knits everybody she knows like sweaters and hats. She starts knitting like covers for all various appliances and stuff and eventually reaches a point where she starts knitting like covers for homes and cars and trees and uh there's like a sort of a honestly kind of a limp attempt at like conflict at the end where like the box is stolen and is returned to her by various means but it's the tone of the book is such that you don't really mind that there's like no real sense of stakes about it you just sort of are meant to go along on the vibe. And, uh, yeah, the illustration work by uh, John Classen is really a big draw for this because, like, this, the coloration and the texture that he gives to all the wool uh, stuff that the main girl knits. And there's an expressiveness to all the little, like, rudimentary characters and animals that is really endearing. And uh, it was that sense of endear- endearment that carried me through to another Mac Barnett John Klassen uh, collab called Sam and Dave Dig a Hole. And this book is about two boys, Sam and Dave, who dig a hole, and that's it. And it's it's one of those shocking yeah, one of those very rudimentary sort of picture book like stories where it's just a recounting of a thing someone does. Now, admittedly, this right. is a very heightened sort of circumstance because the boys are digging, like, an impossibly deep and winding hole. And the central gag of the comic, of the book is that as they are digging, they are, like, constantly bypassing and narrowly missing, like, diamonds and stuff that are buried underground. It's like every time they're just about to hit on something, they'll be like, maybe we should change directions. And uh, that plays out a few times. Ain't that the way it goes, though? Oh, goodness, yeah. That's like... 
I, I wonder if that book's like a low key, uh, a low key indictment of like the gambler's mentality. Like you're just yeah. waiting to hit that hot streak or whatnot or whatever. But anyway, uh, there's a sort of a twist ending that I felt I, uh, I really enjoyed, but I won't give away if you're inclined to seek it out. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, Sam and Dave Dig a Hole. Uh, the next book I read was uh, a bit headier. It's called We Are Water Protectors by Carol Lindstrom, illustrated by Michaela uh, Goad. And as it sounds, it's a, a chronicle and sort of mission statement of the uh, various like indigenous water protecting movements that have been coming up uh, in response to a lot of these uh, pipelines and stuff that are being sort of illegally forced onto Native American land. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, so a lot of this sort of stemmed from like back in 2016, the uh, I, I, I'm the Standing Rock sort of uh, protest. Yeah, yeah you remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember. There have been several since, and uh, the book itself kind of has like a bittersweet, like clear-eyed, like assessment of it because it starts off with a lot of like these frankly stunning like watercolor illustrations of water and animals and like humans relationship with nature and then it characterizes like these pipelines as like a like a, a giant black snake of uh, ancient prophecy that humans are destined to wage war against and uh the book very much like makes it clear that there are, like, battles that have been lost on this front with regards to, like, certain pipelines right. going up anyway and certain spills, like, like contaminating the land and the water. But it's very much leaves you on a note of we need to stay strong, we need to stay united, we need to keep uh, working to fight for these causes and win out. So, um, yeah, it's very, like like explicit about a lot of this stuff which i guess is important for kids to like coming into this and take carry with them so i thought that was a really effective read and needless to say after that i think i needed something a little lighter so the fifth book was the snowy day by ezra jack keats and i think this is one of the lighter books certainly in terms of content that I read because it is literally just a book about a young boy's like day out in the snow so like he yeah he like he like puts on his jacket he runs out he sees what there is to see leaves trails in the snow like there's like older kids who are playing that he can't play with but he does stuff on his own and then like at night he has a dream that all the snow melted away and he's sad about it but then he wakes up in the morning and the snow's still there and so he's happy. And it's uh, this is yeah, like I say just a very low uh grade read I think, but the illustrations are really like classical and charming. Yeah. So that's uh, definitely worth checking out. And the one I read after that was sort of um sort of a blend of the two. It's called Last Stop on Market Street by Matt De La Pena and illustrations I believe by Christian Robinson. And it's the story of this young boy and his grandmother who, like, are leaving church one day and they go on the bus and 
the little boy, he's sort of like, like sort of, I guess a little bit embittered about things that they don't have. Like he's sort of like a bit feels put out about having to take the bus when other people he know are riding around in cars and the grandma's sort of sending him on like the beauty of the city and the people of, around them and looking for like the nice things out in the world. So, I mean, it's a uh, very, it's like good natured and the ending is very sweet with regards to like the, uh, perspective that the book has been fleshing out uh throughout i feel like it really comes together at the end whereas like like just sort of coming into it cold i don't know it just uh sort of nail it sort of lands its central thesis i guess you could say and again it's one of those things you don't really want to spoil it for anybody but uh it's definitely worth checking out that once again that's last stop on market street and the one i read after that is probably one of my two of the favorite uh books that i read this is easily one i could see myself buying just to have it's called shadow it was uh translated by marcia brown who i believe also illustrated it and it is a translation of a bunch of french poetry i believe by blaze uh, Sindrars. I'm sure I'm butchering the name there, but, uh, it's like, um, translations of poems pertaining to, like, African, uh, stories and myths about shadows, and the colors and the illustrations in this books are just, frankly, stunning. Uh, you get these really great, like, uh, profiles and reliefs of images to convey the sense of shadow and light moving around figures and yeah there's not really a like a holistic narrative it just sort of like follows conceptions of light and shadow throughout the day so it starts like in one evening where people are dancing and telling stories and then at night when people are asleep and fires are dying out and then in the day when there's like sun's high in the sky and there's animals out and about people are hunting and going off to war and uh sort of like framing the concept of shadow in different like characterizations uh as sort of a natural being and it's just the language is really striking and the imagery again is just sort of like beautiful so that's definitely one i could like wholeheartedly recommend people check out uh, shadow by marcia brown that sounds super good oh, yeah it's great and uh, the one i read after that is one that uh, a lot of people a lot more people will be familiar with it was jumanji by chris van alsberg uh originally uh a children's picture book that was later adapted into a feature film and this version of the book was the 30th anniversary and apparently in commemoration of that while he was still alive, uh, Robin Williams recorded an audiobook edition of the story that you can access for free online. So you can just like go to the website How cool. and have it play while you read along in the book. And it's got these beautiful like black and white, black and white sort of pencil sketched illustrations that are like very finely detailed and textured. And it's a lot less like high intensity than the movie was it's really much just more about 
these kids playing this board game in their house and more and more animals and jungle sort of ephemera start showing up. And then finally, they beat the game and all that stuff goes away and they get rid of the board game and things go out and then there's like a brief little like turn at the end that's sort of reminiscent of the movie but uh yeah it's it, it's nice i um uh, i think i appreciate it more than i enjoyed it or liked it per se if you get my okay. drift. but uh that was that and the book i read after that was the other one that I think was one of my favorites. It's called The Girl Who Loved Wild Horses by Paul Goebel. And this is a trans, either a adaptation of or sort of tra- uh, translation of a Indian folktale about a, a young Indian girl who is like really like attached to and close to her tribe's horses. And then one night when a storm comes up, she and the, uh, like, horses all get swept away in a uh, stampede. And as she, like, gets taken out into the wild, she encounters uh, a herd of wild horses that she sort of lives with and communes with. And then as the years go by, she's discovered by her, like, old tribe who try to bring her back but then have to like come to terms with her like new place out in the wild with these horses and uh so it's a really sort of like sort of fabulistic tale that's very nice but again what really sells it are these beautiful like high contrast silhouette style drawings with these really expressive like conveyance of motion uh, between the girl and the horses and uh yeah they're they're both published by the same publisher it and uh, shadow uh, i think we're both published by aladdin who are these uh okay. this, uh picture book publisher who seem to specialize in paperback editions i really enjoyed that one and uh the final book i ended on was really nice in its own right especially visually it's called uh, Julian is a Mermaid by Jessica Love. Uh, this is one that wasn't nominated for the uh, Caldecott that I could see, but it did have like some recognition for uh, uh, from various boards that uh, sort of gave it like a place of prominence on the shelf. But um, what this book is about is about a little boy who is like coming back from the pool with his grandmother. And on the train back, he sees, like, a bunch of women in very, like, colorful dresses, and he thinks that they're mermaids. So, and he's, like, really obsessed with swimming and ocean life, so he starts fantasizing about becoming a mermaid. And when he gets home, him and uh, he, like, gets a bunch of curtains and flowers and stuff and fashions himself, like, a mermaid garb. And uh, then his grandma comes out and finds him, and... Uh, the book itself without getting, I mean, I can, this is sort of awkward because it's like, I think in total, there's like 20 words in the book. It is very much a picture book first and foremost. Like, I think the average sentence has like five or six words in it. 
Yeah, it's very, sh like, a quick read, presuming you aren't just, like, taking the time to look at the images. And, which is very nice, because there are all these, like, very rich realizations of shape and water, and the characters are all, like, very expressively drawn. So, uh, it's definitely worth, like, taking the time to linger on the page. But it's also, like, a really nice story about, like, being true to yourself and, like, trusting in your loved ones to accept you as you are and like that sort of embrace of like the uh, potential for people to be what who they are and what they want to be yeah that was uh julian is a mermaid and that was the 10th uh children's book i read all right um you know just listening to you talk about children's books and like the ones that you selected to read you know i our listeners obviously can tell a difference between like the type the style of books that you tend to read and the style of books that I tend to read. And I just think it's funny that that carries over into children's okay. literature as well. I, okay. I don't, um, I don't know that I thought about it that way, but that's, that's pretty cool. I'd be interested to see what uh kids books catch your eye. Cause I mean, I guess I kind of, I guess I kind of, um, the, the children's books that I kind of lean toward are, Obviously, I'm a music teacher, so, like, I'm more inclined to the ones that you can, like, put a little musical spin on it, um, or books that you can adapt into a music lesson, or you, anyway, uh, cause, like, when I think of children's books, I think of books like, uh, Stick and Stone, about the friendship between a stick and a stone, uh, The Day the Crayons Quit, uh, Creepy pair of underwear, uh, creepy okay. carrots. Um, that's that's all fun. That's that's all fun. Yeah. Also, it was also really fun to bra to get a chance to browse some children's books because at both of my schools over the last couple of weeks we've had the book yeah. fair. I was uh, visiting Liz and Caleb, who are the friends who gave me uh, feisty. And their daughter had a book fair at her school where she just started kindergarten. She brought home a couple of picture books from that. Yeah. And it was, it was, anyway, um, at my home school, like each teacher got like a $50 credit, uh, to use in the bookstore to like just purchase things for our classroom, uh, to help build our classroom libraries. And, uh, some of the books that I bought, I bought stick and stone, um, I bought like a little Rudolph the reindeer like rap type book. I, I got I got like two or three other books, but the the other one I know I got, but I can't think of the name. Do you do you remember the the book Wonky oh, Donkey? Oh goodness, yes. We might have it actually. Um. Well, I know that you do. I know Dad has it because I remember visiting with Andrew and like making Andrew read it. Because anyway, I just thought he I thought he thought it would be funny. Uh. So anyway, I bought the sequel to Wonky Donkey, which is about okay. Wonky Donkey's daughter who has like really long eyelashes, but I can't remember what it's called. Well, that's fine. I'm sure we'll be coming around to it. Yeah, but I just thought that was interesting that like even in children's literature, we tend to gravitate to different okay. things. Well, that's fun. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fun. But uh, that's all I've been up to. So I think now... Uh, we can probably start talking word totals. All yeah. Right. Well, once again, I read all those kids' books, which met the requirements for the challenge to earn an additional uh, 100,000 words. 
Uh, on top of that, I read yep. Broken Fevers, which had a ward total of 45,676. And I read Mona Lisa Overdrive, which had a ward total of 100,048. Altogether, bringing my ward total up from 3,776,208 to 4,021,933. So I am officially in the 4 million club. Woohoo! Yeah, put that on a cup. <laughs> um, in the past two weeks, I have read five books for a total of 505,932 words, uh, which brings my current word total up to 8,784,536 words. All right. So, that's where we stand going into December. And uh, before yep. we do that, though, we've got... One more reading challenge to be issued. Yep, All I right, am ready. So, All right, let's hear it. All readers are guilty of this, mm. where we buy books and then we don't read yes. them. So your challenge, your last and final challenge, is to read two books from your personal collection that you have not read yet. Okay. They have okay. to have they have to have been purchased prior to the recording of this episode, right. and you have to read them by the time it's you know by the time it's time for okay. your check. I'm looking forward to it. I might uh, really take this as an opportunity to dive dive deep back into the backlogs because goodness knows I've got books that are like years old at this point that I still haven't touched. So that'll be quite the incentive. But, awesome. Uh, before I do that, I think it's high time I went back out and checked on Feisty. Uh, got ready for bed. I know you've got work tomorrow, so we'll be sending you on. Yeah, it's my last day of work before break. Nice, nice, nice. I've got two days of work this week. Two more days, rather. I've got tomorrow, which is a normal day, and then I've got Wednesday, which I'm staying through to close, but we're closing early on uh thanksgiving eve and uh so that'll be that and then i'll have thanksgiving proper and the day after off looking forward to it yeah you'll get plenty of time to hang out with feisty yeah and to hang out with y'all and to hang out with us of course yeah but mainly the cat (laughs) you have to you have to bond with your daughter i do yeah i can't let her feel neglected no no, goodness sakes. I've been away from her for like an hour and a half at this point. She probably th- doesn't even remember who I am. She might not. No. She may have claimed a new person. Uh, well, I mean, she, goodness sakes, she's taken the mom like a fish to water. Has she really? Yeah, she just lays up, like, lays between her legs. and like I think mom's just like an old hat with cat at, cats at this point. That is sweet. That's really, really, that's really, really cute. She loves her grandma. Oh, yeah. But she likes me well enough. Well, she better. Yep. Uh, And I... Oh, goodness. I still need to schedule a time to take her to the vet because she needs to get her shots and what all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you need to do that. Yeah, so I'll be getting on it. And uh, at any rate, it's been good uh, talking to you, Elizabeth. Uh, You want to tell people where they can find us? Yeah, so you can find us on our social media, media platforms... You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Literally Club, 
TikTok. And TikTok at Your Words Podcast. You can also reach out to us through email at yourwordspodcast at gmail.com. And oh, and our website. Our we website, have a website. Your Words Podcast.com. All righty. Well, that does it for this week. Uh, thank you for joining us. And I hope you have a nice night, Elizabeth. We'll be seeing you in a couple of days. Yep, we'll see you in a couple of days. Make sure to bring an appetite. Uh, I will. <laughs>